Welcome to Running and Obstacle Race Training with your host, Jeff Bennett. All right, welcome. Thank you so much for that great introduction. And now I'm going to introduce our guest today. Um, our guest is Jim Serger, and he is, uh, I know him well because he is an author with two books out there, and we'll discuss one of them today. He's an athlete, and the reason I wanted to have him on the show is he is, um, he has challenged himself three times, I believe, from going from just normal guy to super fit guy. He's climbed Mount Fuji, he's gotten um, in shape to ride 2,000 miles for a charity, and he also got in shape to run a uh, marathon. I guess he did that with a friend. So welcome, Jim. I can't wait to talk to you about these topics, and glad you're here today. Thanks, Jeff, for having me today. I really appreciate it, and that's a, a very nice introduction of me. I don't know about a world-class athlete. I wouldn't put myself in that category, but it's been many years. At 49 years old, you try to stay fit. So I try to challenge myself weekly, daily, and monthly to do some obstacles, just like your uh, podcast says. Yeah. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. Maybe I'll call you the most curious athlete. Um, you, you, <laughs> every time I talk to you, you're, you're, you're trying something new. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So do you have a favorite sport or pastime, or are you just trying everything? Well, all through high school and all as a young man, I played baseball up until eighth grade and then eighth grade it switched to football because i wasn't allowed to play football my dad didn't think uh young men's bodies were developed enough to play football till they were in eighth grade then i took on football and football became my number one sport and i played that all through high school as well as baseball and i played basketball as well and when i went to college i started lifting weights i loved lifting weights when I was 18 as a freshman in school, I could bench press 415 pounds. I can still remember the day down at the campus weight room, putting all four on there, 45s on each side, and, and pumping it out with the bar. I think that's 405. And that was at 18 years old, and a real passion of mine took a stronghold. And I started lifting and lifting and lifting and getting into nutrition and properly eating, maybe some too much protein and steaks and tuna, but that's where it all started was basically as a young man growing up and my parents were into athletes and my dad played college sports and my dad was selected by the Phillies out of high school. So he played semi-pro ball for a couple of years. So sports has always been in our family. Man, I'm, I'm just picking up my jaw off the ground with that 400 plus pound um, bench, <laughs> bench press <laughs> Well, at 49 now, my shoulders hurt, my biceps hurt, my legs hurt. I I should have heeded those warnings when they said you're gonna get arthritis. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I definitely don't take enough protein for uh, um, uh, lifting regimen. But uh, um, man, so so you worked out throughout high school, and then I guess you had a career in the Navy. Did they require you to be in shape as well? Well, absolutely. So when I graduated college, I went into the Navy. And, of course, you just got to meet the regular standard Navy physical fitness test. I believe it was run one mile under 20 minutes, do 50 push-ups uh, under five minutes. I think it was 50 sit-ups under three minutes. 
And then once you achieve that mark, you were basically done. So I had a nice job in the Navy. I was an operations specialist, so there was a lot of downtime because the ship couldn't have the radars on. So we would work a half a day while in port, and then out at sea it was nonstop 24-7 in Combat Information Center. So when we were in port for about three months, you know, free activities for the gym membership. We had gyms on all four corners of the base. We had gym on the ship as well. So I started pumping some more iron, and I started running, and then I started hitting the elliptical. The ellipticals came out when I was in the Navy. Uh, I think it was a Nordic track elliptical were real popular in 92, and I believe morale, welfare, and recreation bought a ton of them. So I found myself switching from weights to more CrossFit training. I guess you would say that back in 92 before the term became popular nowadays. And I was running. I was walking. Nordic track, lifting light weights with high reps. So I was basically thinning my body out, and I'm built like a fire hydrant, or a Fred Flintstone, I should say. <laughs> so I'm not, your, I'm not your typical marathon runner. So it takes me a little while to drop weight. So in the Navy, I think I weighed about 215 to 220. Right now, I probably weigh about 240. But uh, it takes a little while and more training <laughs> at this build and a lot more stretching, Jeff, than a normal six foot two, one ninety. 190. Oh man, um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I end up having to do a lot of stretching just because I'm aging. But I imagine if you're if you're hitting the weights, that that requires a lot of stretching to keep limber. I'm just trying to function. <laughs> Absolutely. I sometimes I feel as tight as a violin string. Oh goodness. So, so um, what about Mount Fuji? What is what what was that like? How tall is that mountain? I believe that's right around 14,000, maybe a little bit less, 12.9, without looking at a reference. Uh, it was unbelievable. It has the largest incline of any mountain in the world, and it increases about an eighth of an inch every three miles. So the actual start of the base of the mountain is, gosh, you can go as far as almost 10 miles to 15 miles out. So I remember when we climbed it, the tour guide said, we're going to bypass about eight miles. Because wow. to legally climb Mount Fuji, you would have to start 10 miles. He said, you're going to be walking for 10 miles, and you would have gone up about, oh, about a quarter of a mile. And he said, that's pretty much of a waste of time because most people can do a quarter of a mile. So for the record, I climbed it according to Mount Fuji standards, but as far as mountain climbers go in the world, I probably didn't officially climb it. But right there at the base of the mountain, they said, uh, we've got 15 hours, if I believe, to get up to the top. And then, of course, you're going to excel really fast on the way down. So they have a carved path that zigzags almost like the uh, street in San Francisco oh, yeah. that kind of winds and winds and winds. And every thousand feet, there is a Japanese man or a Japanese woman there that will say hello to you. And they will try to sell you oxygen. Hmm. They come in those little tanks, you hook it up to your mouth. And then they will actually burn a burn mark or a brand into the staff because they give you a free staff to help you walk. 
So every thousand feet, they'll burn it off. And as you do the incline, you get all the way up to the top. It'll say top of Mount Fuji, 1994. It'll say 12,900 and some odd feet. And then I made it all the way up to the top. And then, of course, you know, your decline on Mount Fuji, you bypass the zigzag all the way up. And you go straight down, almost a straight shot. So there's no rappelling involved. There's no tour guide as far as, like, for safety. It's, it's a pretty easy climb. I would say anybody can just about climb Mount Fuji. So it's the catch is, is it, can you handle the thin air and the lack of oxygen the, the higher you go? So that's where they weed everybody out. But there were some elderly folks going up the hill. 60, 70, 80 year olds, and were right there with us, huh. hand in hand. And then there was 25, 30 year olds that dropped out because it was getting thin. Man, and be... mm-hmm. I wonder if they have like races up there. You know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Well, I climbed it once, and that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> Oh man, that was enough for me. I remember climbing back down the mountain, and our tour guide said, "You're going to go to a Y. Go to the left. Do not go to the right. Go to the left, and that'll take you back to the base." And when we got back to the tour bus, there was two people that were left behind. And then we found out when we got back to the base that they actually went to the right and they went around the opposite end of the mountain, and they had to leave them there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, let that be a little tip for your audience. Always pay attention to the tour guide. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, um, sometimes we feel smarter than the people who are leading us, and that's not always the best philosophy. Correct, <laughs> correct. But so, I tell you what, though, to get in shape for that stuff, you really got to do some significant high, high repetition training. And I'm a little bit stocky guy. So I, I had more steps involved than the limber and the uh, taller inseam, I should say. So I really had to put forth the effort on that. Oh, man. So speaking of effort, I'd like to talk a little bit about this 2,000-mile bike ride. Um, I like the stories you tell about it, you know, how you um, didn't know much about bicycles. Um, but I like the team that you got together to help you do that, going from no knowledge and probably maybe not, maybe you're in shape, but not bicycle shape. Um, how did that um, charity event evolve? Well, great question. Thanks for asking that. So I had a good friend of mine, Pat Williams, uh, was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer down in Orlando. And I wanted to raise awareness on his condition that he actually beat cancer and got it to go into remission and then I also wanted to challenge myself to do something for him and for other people going through the same adverse conditions that you go through when you're diagnosed with cancer and I wanted to keep them upbeat and let them know I was thinking about them and so I asked my next door neighbor if if he wanted to ride a bicycle from Carmel, Indiana to Orlando, Florida and he jumped all in and we did it and we did it in seven days 150 miles per day, 75 him, 75 me. Next day it would be 100 him and 50 me. The next day it would be 100 me, 50 him. And we would go from sun up to sundown. 
So we didn't have anything else to do in those seven days but to ride the bike. We didn't have to pay bills. We didn't have to make phone calls. We didn't have to worry about work. We knew everything back in the home front was fine. So we went down there. But that's not an easy task. Uh, I have a hard enough time riding the bicycle around the neighborhood for 20 minutes because I hadn't done it. Matter of fact, I walked into the bicycle shop next to my house and I asked him, do you still have 10 speeds? And and the salesman said, sir, we haven't sold 10 speeds in about 20 years. They're now called road bikes. (laughs) Like, okay, I guess I'm that far behind. I said, well, I'm going to ride my bike from here down to Orlando. And he said, you're going to do what? I said, yes. He said, all you know is that they're still called 10 speeds. And he got the giggles and he said, well, my name is Brian and welcome to Nebo Ridge Bicycles. We're in the top 50 bicycle shops in the country. And I said, all this time, half a mile down the street from my house, the top 50 bicycle shop in the country. Wow. And with, with them and their staff and the education and the wisdom that they displayed and were given to me throughout probably about six months of training, I went from doing one mile on the road bike around the neighborhood to I could do back-to-back-to-back-to-back century rides throughout Carmel. So because of them, like our previous conversation, you got to listen to the experts. They know what they're doing. They've been through it. They know it works. They they know what doesn't work. How long did it take you to build up to your first century? Oh, gosh. I started riding in May, like May 1st. I would say September 15th. So you're looking at about four and a half months. It took me to go from one mile to a century ride. And then, and then another probably two weeks to be able to do a back-to-back ride for a century. All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So I was about to ask that. I'm sure you were sore um, after the first century. And then to get on and ride another one the next day or the day after that would be astounding. So I'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our sponsors. Mission Driven Research is one of our sponsors and they exist to glorify God by providing excellent support to their customers, treating employees better in every way, empowering their employees to serve their neighbors in a radical way, and directing a minimum of 10% of all their profit to support mission activities through their partner, Mission Driven Ministries. And I'll tell you about uh, another thing about Mission Driven Research is they sponsor me as a as an athlete. They pay for my um, races. I'm really grateful to them for that. But they've also reached out to the community and grabbed people who wouldn't normally otherwise be fit or run and plugged them into a charity event. So it's nothing um, to really see 20 or 30 uh, people wearing Mission Driven Research t-shirts on these runs and so they've been a big part of our community and big part of our community community doing charity events and raising funds for others so we appreciate them oh my gosh my lower back the one that hurt the most it really took a toll i felt like i was hunched over driving a uh, a yugo and i was seven feet two the whole time uh, I mean, I was crunched in there and crunched over. I could lean back. I could feel the stress on my lower back. I could feel my thighs tightening up. 
and my tush <laughs> going numb. Yes. My elbows hurting. My hands would go numb all the time. But with that training, though, you build up a resilience. Your body will change, and that's the great thing about the human body. The human body will change. You push it through for a couple of days, your body's going to hurt. If you stop, it's going to go back to resting. And then if you try to push it again, it's going to hurt again. If you gradually build on it, then your body's going to adjust. And by the time I did the century ride, my hands were not numb that long. And then back to back, my hands, my touch, my lower back didn't hurt as bad. They still hurt. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. So because of building it up. So what are you eating during this time? Anything you want or did you have a special diet? Well, I, I weighed about 250 when I started, and I dropped weight so fast that the bicycle shop actually told me that I need to double the calories that I'm in, intaking. So the first bicycle ride over 50 miles, I came home and had three ham sandwiches right afterwards. And I was so excited, and I told them I ate three ham sandwiches. <laughs> they said, that's not doing anything for you. that's nice that you filled up your stomach you know you're no longer on e you're on full now but they said you're you're not eating anything correctly so they coached me and i had some kona bars which are you know a little bit higher up than a cliff bar on and the kona bar has a lot of calories in it i mean there is a ton maybe five six hundred calories and they told me i should be eating that at least every four or five hours that I'm on the bike. And then they recommended the goo, like the uh, stinger or the cliff goo while I was riding. They recommended that I do the uh, electrolytes because I'm so big. And then they also recommended that I take the salt tablets. It's not the salt tablets like we know from Vietnam era. Right. The salt tablets at the bicycle <laughs> shop. And they said, you're going to sweat so much. You, you could actually, you know, cramp up really quickly and that can cause you to you know be out about 60 miles and you're gonna have to hitchhike back or luckily maybe i'll have a next door neighbor that could come get me but because of them coaching me and because in some of these papers and magazines that i was reading educated me on some of that stuff but i had to eat a lot of calories i mean i really did and i eat like garbage when i did it but i knew how to change it into positive garbage a lot of spaghetti afterwards i i drank chocolate uh, milk within 45 minutes of getting off the bike and they coached me on that you have to get protein in the system to retain some of the muscle that you build if not you're going to lose it and sure enough you know here we see muscle milk and chocolate milk all the time advertised during major events that require endurance right so I had to learn the hard way. I, I didn't know, and because of the bicycle shop, they coached me all the way through it, and I made it. Yeah. So the buddy, <laughs> uh, so the buddy you rode with, um, you, you didn't. It sounds like you didn't ride together. You had different daily goals. Um, That's correct. That is correct. So he was a little bit slimmer. He's about six foot, so he was uh, more astute for this ride, I should say, than I was. Um, my inseam is what kills me the most. It's only a 29 inseam. I don't have that long crank. I have to crank two or three times for his one oh, crank yeah. just to be even. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. Uh-huh. And then where did you stay at night? 
Well, we kind of won it. We uh, we took US 31, which runs from South Bend, Indiana. That'll take you all the way down to Macon, Georgia. Oh. And then we picked up, I, I can't remember the highway, 75. It runs parallel at 75. It's not US 31. It, it's, it's another, it's an old highway that, you know, your parents and my parents would have taken years ago to go to Florida before. Uh, and then we just stopped, you know, Holiday Inn Express or Red Roof Inn, something cheap, something quick. Mm. That way we didn't have to spend a lot of money on hotels because we were doing it for charity. The last thing I needed was a, a penthouse with yeah, a five-star yeah. rating. So you can't eat caviar. Yeah. Are you, um, are you, you probably having sardines instead of caviar? That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. That is correct. Are you carrying a backpack or a, a trailer? Or, what, what do so you, what you, it was, was, is it was two dads, uh, his son and my daughter were buddies, were next door neighbors. And so we took a cheap down and one guy's bike would be on the Jeep and then he would be riding and then if he got tired or I got tired we would switch out take the bike out of the Jeep throw it back down and then we would keep going from sun up to sun down or 150 miles but 150 miles was a piece of cake through Indiana through Kentucky and through a little bit of Tennessee but once we got about 20 miles into Tennessee it it became very hard you're entering into the Exactly. Oh yeah. Exactly. That's where I live, mm-hmm. <laughs> hill country. Right. <laughs> right. So we had to go a little bit slower. One day I think we only did eighty miles instead of one hundred fifty. We we just physically just we just couldn't do it. I mean, you can train on flat terrain all day long or little hills in Indiana, but when you hit those mountain ranges, I mean, that's a whole separate entity. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, just driving down 65. I know you've come this way before. There are Correct. some. There are some hills on 65. Yes. At, uh, at least from uh, Nashville to Birmingham, and so I imagine some of those are what you faced. I don't. Uh, I just. Mm-hmm. I I know this area well, and this is where we do a lot of our endurance running and our obstacle races are on. Um, take advantage of the hills. And, and so, right, um, right. yeah, they, they, they're actually considered obstacles. Um, some of these hills are actually an right. obstacle. So <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Well, yeah, they I, give you a warning before you go up, and then they give you a warning on the way down. Oh, goodness. That, that in itself is a big deterrent. Gosh. So how much, money, do it. how much money did you raise, or was it an awareness? Or I believe it? we raised right around $5,000, and then uh, we... We wrote them a check and, and mailed that off to them in New York City. That's where the headquarters are, is uh, right right outside of New York in a little town in Connecticut where multiple model all my research foundation is. So we wrote them a check and took everybody through PayPal or direct checks or donations, you know, as we went. And then we just gave it all to them. It was a nice cause. Yes. Really nice what year was that? That would have been, let me see, 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so about seven years ago now, six years ago. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, so, so these kind of charity events are getting easier online now. Um, 
So, you know, if you ever consider that again, <laughs> something like that, there's so many, so many new ways of uh, collecting money now that um, didn't exist back then. The Internet has changed so much. Right. You would know. I mean, you yeah. would know. Yeah. So um, so let's talk about your marathon. That was last year or two years ago. That was two years ago. I uh, as Carmel Marathon. We live in a, a very nice community just north of Indianapolis by about 10 miles. So we're just outside of the city limits. And Carmel, this little town, actually has this year going on their 10th year anniversary and their 10th marathon. So I, I ran their eighth year marathon. Oh, good. And it was New Year's Eve, and I was like, what am I going to do for next year? And just like you were saying, the internet changed. I saw something come up on Facebook, and it said, Carmel Marathon, only 110 days away. And I said, well, I guess that'll be the goal this year. <laughs> so ah. I hmm. ran it to raise awareness for breast cancer. And I, my father's mom passed away of breast cancer, and then I had a friend of mine who I ran it for that I graduated high school with who was diagnosed with breast cancer and she's doing terrific now and she found her way through it, but it was because of a mammogram that saved her life all those years. She said she never needed one. Then one day she said, okay, there's the bus outside of the store. I'll check it out. And sure enough, they called her back the next day and said, you need to get down here. So we did it uh, to promote the benefits of having a mammogram for women and it paid off. So in 110 days, once again. Good for you and good for her for getting checked. Right. Oh. Right. So, yeah, so I saw that. What What did you wear in that marathon? It, was it um, state-of-the-art running clothes or was it um, um, sweats? I ran it in North Face running shoes, uh, East Bay tights. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Under Armour shorts, a T-shirt. Uh, Indianapolis Fire Department sweatshirt and an Under Armour cold weather gear turtleneck. And then I had a hat and gloves on. You look bundled and up. I did. And I broke the course record. I ran it in seven hours and three minutes. So that was a new record. I <laughs> actually had everything was gone. When I crossed the finish line, I said, am I the last one? And they said, yes, but you're oh. not the last one because other people had dropped out. That's said, terrific. And... <laughs> They should have an award in your name. I don't know about that. There was no bananas, no drinks, no chips, no beer. The band was already in the plane flying off to their next venue. Oh, no. The mayor was already gone. Everybody <laughs> was gone. Everybody was gone. He was out there with the pedestrians. Correct. But they left the clock going because they knew I was coming. Well, and good. They said, they said, we wouldn't have stopped it for you. We knew you were just right around the corner. And I said, Oh. Well, thanks for waiting on me. You just they said, sure, you didn't drop out. Yeah. You just gave me a brilliant idea. Here it is. You ready? What's that? Your next goal. Yes. All right. So uh -huh. you've done a marathon. You've done a century bike ride. Uh, Iron Man, you know, that's just that's just resounding <laughs> in my brain. Iron All you got to do is swim. <laughs> I know. Hey, it was in the Navy. Does that count? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I could just see me now. It'd be like Fred Flintstone in the pool. Oh my goodness! Oh, well. Do you have any um, fitness goals in the future, or are you just just uh, um, seeing what happens? 
Well, we just kind of take it day to day. You plan it out, and then life gets in the way, and then, you know, you can blame whatever you want and say for an excuse. But there's something down the road in Jimmy's path right now. Yeah. Uh, but I have to see physically if I can do it. I, I never make an announcement or really tell anybody because I need to make sure I can get over that little that little hill. I just need to test it, make sure I can do it, make sure my timeline's fine, make sure other thing on the back end of the vision, which is seeing me cross the finish line, can be completed, and then I'll give it a shot. So there are some things off in the near future as far as extreme sports. It's coming, but I'll, I just turned 49 last week, so the super extreme sports – I don't know how many more years I can do with that one. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're saying what other people are feeling and haven't um, verbalized, and and that's those people who haven't gotten up yet to to test themselves. And uh, you're you're a good example of hey, set a goal, tell everybody or don't tell everybody, test it out. Um, you might be tentative, but just get on out there and try it. You never know what's going to happen. And usually it sounds like in, in your case and in many other cases, it's the feeling of accomplishment when you take part in that. That is correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes you yeah. might not finish and sometimes you finish dead last, but you got to get out there and do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like what my dad said. Do you remember the name of the person that gave up? No. Nope. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> exactly. Nobody remembers them because they gave up or they said, I can't do it. Yeah. And you just keep going. You'll be surprised. I mean, you know it as well. You're an avid runner. You're an avid trainer. And you know what your body can do or can't do. And sometimes you just take it a notch up, 10%, let it go, let it ride. And then next week or two weeks out, increase it a little bit more. I mean, no one's timing you. The only person that's timing me is myself. Right. Right. I'm, That's I'm, right. I'm in this for you, the money. You compete against you. Yes, sir. So, yes, um, sir. yeah, I think one of your goals I like is uh, you, you have a really long reading list, and you like to post what you read about and give it a review. So you're you're on many many books. Um, but yeah, I also want to emphasize you're an author as well, and your books are um besides these two that I know about, two thousand miles on wisdom that tells a story of 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 a bicycle shop, a bicycle journey, an excellent customer service, and the art of creating a loyal customer, but also documents your trip and your adventures. And then, um, um, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank on on um, the other one. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, oh, next in line. Next, next in, in line. line. Yeah. What a butcher can teach us about a positive influence. Yeah. And so that was an excellent read. Both are, both are really good. And so you've got a couple other books, right? What are those? Uh, the other one is Go the Distance. Uh, it's a true story about my father and I uh, going through uh, basically understanding what alcoholism can do to a father and son's relationship and how to mend that, how to fix it, how to forget about it, how to take a step to the right and forgiveness and unconditional love and at the end is is my father's now as a matter of fact this year will mark his 20th year being sober congratulations so it's about, well thank you jeff that's nice of you yeah that means a lot I mean, our family's doing great everybody's doing awesome and 
if he wouldn't have given it up, I don't know what would have happened. Right. That's what that book's about. How far are you willing to go for a loved one? And we went the distance, you know, just just like Kevin Costner said, you know, go the distance. Yeah. And we did it. And my dad's doing great. Yeah. My well, family's doing great. And my wife loves them. And that's that. Yeah. Well, what <laughs> I like about you is you, you do fight for others and you fight for awareness of 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 cancer and um everything you do you do for other people and i'm just looking at this you know the last few pages of uh 2000 miles on wisdom and you list other books to read beside yours you have a whole list of reading lists that you recommend and so you're a very um selfless person and you, and you care about others and it definitely shows and and i think you're your, your life is enriched by that, and the people that you know are definitely blessed for what you do for them. Yes, sir. Well, that's kind of you. It is. I think everybody needs to do things to draw attention that they're thankful for. Good. And go ahead. Oh, well, I'm just going to tell you I'm so glad to have you uh, as a guest on our podcast, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Um, do you have any last things to say? No pressure. <laughs> No pressure. I, I would say the, the biggest advice that I would give somebody right now is have a goal, look how the goal ends, and then fill in the blanks the way you want to fill it in the blanks. Because if you have a start and you have a finish, just fill it in, and you'll see your way to the end. Sometimes you get a little obstacles or a little speed bumps from here to there, but you can see it through. You want it bad enough, you'll do it. Great advice. That's the best advice from Carmel, Indiana. That's it. Great advice. And, and thanks again for being on our show. Well, I sure appreciate you having me on, Jeff. That's really nice. Yeah, I hope that I uh, come back again, and I look forward to working with you in the future. Well, there's another episode of Running an Obstacle Race Training complete. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll come back to us again and hear our next episode. Uh, again, um, Red Bike Publishing is a sponsor for this podcast, and shout out to them. Um, if you have any questions or wish to contact Jim Serger or find out more information about his books, contact us at editor at redbikepublishing.com.